We're talking this morning about I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. When, uh, when we lived in Lancaster County, they had a place there called Sight and Sound Theater, and it's an outstanding place. And uh, I would encourage you, if you've never been there before, to be sure and go sometime. Uh, they have biblical stories that they tell, and it's just, it's like Broadway, it really is. And when they did Noah's Ark, um, the locals there said that it was not only sight and sound, but it was also sight, sound, and smell at that particular time. <laughs> because they literally had this 2,000-seat auditorium and then this huge stage up front and stages on the side as well. And so there's action happening all around you, basically. And, uh, and they had 200 animals, 200 live animals there uh, as a part of that. And animals do things sometimes. And, uh, and so you'd see someone come in a biblical outfit like this and go across the stage and, you know, take care of everything. But um, we, we wanted to just give you a bit of, of an aroma today that would remind you of bread, of bread. When I was a teenager, our family went, drove to South Dakota. And when we were there, we did the obligatory things that uh, folks typically do when they're in South Dakota. Uh, we went through the Badlands and uh, this beautiful, beautiful place. I took some great pictures and uh, just a masterful piece of God's creation there. And then we went to Mount Rushmore, and that was a very, very special time as well. And um, they, you know, that's not a natural main thing, of course, but it was very, very insightful, just a, a great experience to be there. And then we went to Wall Drug because I guess everyone wants to go to Wall Drug before you die. So we, uh, we, did, we did go there as well. Now, we visited friends of ours, the Thurston family, Pastor Bill and, and Irma Thurston, they have connections with the congregation. Some of you would know them. Some of you may be, possibly be related to them. But they were living in South Dakota, and so we visited them for a couple of days. I, had, I was a young teen. They had a couple of teenagers at the time, so we had a good time together. Now, my mom, my mom has always been known as a great cook. Uh, she, was, she was a very, very good cook and, and a great baker as well. She made all kinds of creations and stuff, and I mean, just, she, when she was a district superintendent's wife, she was a pastor's wife for a number of years, but when she became a district superintendent's wife, there were times that she would have like breakfasts and have like 150 ladies there, you know, so I mean, she was just a, she was a great cook. But one of the things she didn't make was homemade rolls. And when we were in South Dakota, Mrs. Thurston made homemade rolls, and I smelled those it was supper time, and I smelled those things, and I thought, oh, my word, that smells really, really good. And so I, I had one, right, broke that sucker open and put some butter in it and put it back together, and it melted into wonderfulness, and, um, and, I, and I ate that, and it was really, really good. It really was. Um, and, and so I had a second and they weren't the small ones like sometimes you get in a restaurant. They were, you know, they were the regular size rolls. And I, I had the second one, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And, and so I had a third one, actually. I can't actually recall if there was a fourth one or not. It really doesn't matter. Three did it anyway. But anyway, we were going to go to the Passion Play uh, in South Dakota. They have this famous Black Hills Passion Play. We were going to go as a family, and... And the Thurstons were going to go along. And um, I didn't go that night. Um, because apparently when my brain and my nose and my mouth 
were saying, you need to have another. Um, apparently, they didn't talk with my stomach about that process. And there was a lot of warm goodness in there. And it was great when I was eating it. But there was, a, there was confusion in, in, the, in the house. There was, a, there, was a, there was a fight going on internally within me. And so I, I missed out on that. For Valentine's Day, Carl and I went to um, Texas Roadhouse. We hadn't been there in quite a while. And, of course, when you're waiting to be seated, why they take you by the stakes and say, do you want to pick out your own? No, it's just, it's, you know. But you smell the rolls as they're making, right? And, um, I mean, it's, it's one thing to smell the rolls there. It's something else when they bring them to your place and they give you that buttery goodness that they do, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's soft butter, and then they put some brown sugar in it. It is so good. Some people have said it has crack, and I don't know that. I can't say that. But it's, it's very addictive. It's really, really, really good. And, uh, and so anyway, we, we enjoy those. And so if you, uh, if you haven't realized it by now, I can, I can be a bread person if, if it's the right bread, if it's really good bread. And um, Carla makes excellent rolls, and she gets me involved in the process, you know, because you have to put a lot of flour in, so it takes a lot of stirring, and so she calls me in, and I'm part of that. But she, she has fantastic rolls. And everything bagels or the cranberry orange bagels from back home, Bagels in Schnecksville, oh my goodness, you need to check that place out. They're really, really good, really great place. I'm hooked. Now, I realize that not everyone responds to bread the same way that some of us do. Uh, if you're on a keto diet, you might say, you know, no, I don't need those carbs. I'm not going to do that. I understand that. And if you have celiac disease, you're not going to want to eat any bread that has gluten in it. You're just gluten-free for you, and I understand that totally. But bread and bread products tend to be a very big part of Americana, and many foodies rave about the various bread products that they've had different places, and, uh, and you know who you are, um, different places, but there's certain foodies in the congregation too. Bread was very, very important in the time of Christ. It really was. It was, it was one of the primary foods, one of the primary staples that the people ate at that particular time. And for some, it might have been primarily what they consumed. The Greek word for, for bread is artos, and it appears approximately 100 times in the New Testament. Jesus used the imagery of bread on several occasions when he was teaching the disciples and when he was talking to the multitudes. When the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, one of the phrases he used in that model prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. And in today's passage, he identifies himself in a new way with the disciples. He tells them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That verse may remind you possibly of, of the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Because in that particular time, they were talking about her life, Jesus was talking to her, and and talking about some things that she didn't think he knew, and, and also talking about water and the water that she was drawing from the well. And, and Jesus made it very, very plain to her when he said, but those who drink the water that I will give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
So one of the ways that Jesus describes himself is the bread of life, the bread of life. And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, which translated in Hebrew means house of bread. So it's just interesting that God gave us the bread of life, Jesus, in, in the house of bread there in, in Bethlehem. And so when he, said, when he said to the people, I'm the bread of life, he's saying much, much more than possibly we would ever at first recognize and realize. The day before Jesus, before Jesus told them that he was the bread of life, the day before that, the day before that is the day that he had done a tremendous miracle in their midst. And it was the miracle of the meal. It's found in verses 5 through 14 there. Now, there was a crowd, the scripture tells us, of 5,000 men at that particular time that had assembled. They were bringing people that needed to be healed, and Jesus was healing them and all that, and he was also teaching. And so there were 5,000 men, the scripture says, and women and children. So very possibly it could have been 10, 15,000 people gathered at that particular time. And we know that when that happened, when that particular thing took place, Jesus talked to the disciples and he said to them, where can we get, where can we buy enough bread for all the people? And he was just testing because he knew what he was going to do. But it was Andrew that said to him, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two small fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? And I mean, it, it's true, right? I mean, you think about five loaves of bread and two fish and 10, 15,000 people. I mean, that's a joke, unless if Jesus is there, unless if the miracle worker is there, unless if the one that really is, is capable of doing anything is there, and he was. So Jesus had the people sit down, and, uh, and then he took those five loaves of bread, and he broke them, gave thanks to God for them, gave them to the disciples, and they passed them out. And then he took this two small, think of that, two small fish and gave thanks to God for them. And then they were passed out to the people as well. And the scripture says that they all ate to their fill. And Jesus told them to pick, the disciples to pick up anything that was left over. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover food. 12 huge doggy bags. Can you imagine? I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so it was the next day, the next day after that happened, that Jesus was talking to the people and he said, and encouraging them to believe that, that he was sent from God and to believe that he indeed was God himself. And they said to him in verse 30, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Hello? The day before, he fed 10 to 15,000 people. That night, the scripture says he walked on the water. He healed people right and left. And they said, show us a miraculous sign and we'll believe you. Oh, what can you do? What can you do? It reminds me of a little kid. Sometimes, you know, children, if you delight them with something, you know, they... You get them laughing or whatever, you do something and they, and they love it, you know, and they start laughing and, they, and then they say, again, again, again. They just wanted more and more and more from Jesus. 
I'm sure glad that I'm not God, and I'm glad you're not God. What would your reaction have been if you had just done all of that, and they would have said to you, well, show us some miracle. Uh, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? If you had the power of Jesus, uh, it might not have been good. It might not have been. They said, you know what? Uh, yeah, you gave us the food, but the bottom line is G Jesus, Moses, Moses, or, or the big Mo to the Jews, he, he, he gave us manna every morning for 40 years in the desert. 40 years. Now you, it's, it's nice. You know, you did that. But he, Moses, Moses gave us manna. And then it, it's interesting when you, when you look into manna and, and, and research it a little bit, Man is kind of an, an interesting thing, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a mysterious thing. In fact, manna means, what is it? That's what the word manna means. God had instructed Moses to tell the people that they were to go out each morning and they were to collect enough manna for that day that he had rained down on them, came out of the sky, God gave them that. They were to pick up that grain and take it, that, that, that manna and take it, and, and, and that was to be their meal for that particular day. Man is described as various things in, in different parts of the scripture. It, it's described as the bread of heaven, and the Bible tells us that it was small, it was round, it was, it was a kind of a white color, it was sweet to the taste, the Bible says, and it adequately met the needs of the people. So do you ever get confused sometimes with a, assigning credit to somebody when, when, when somebody does something for you and you credit someone else instead of the person that really did it? Or, or do, you ever, do you ever have those times where maybe you take credit for something God's done, you prayed about it, you asked God to help you with it, you get it done, and then, and then you do it, and then you, know, you kind of take credit for it yourself? Well, the Jewish people did that. They said to Moses, they said, um, you know, about Moses, you know, he's the one that gave us the bread, the manna. He's the one. And Jesus cleared up that false narrative right away. And he's, no, 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 no. It wasn't the big Mo. No, it wasn't. It was God that provided that. It was God that gave you the manna faithfully day by day by day. And then he said in verse 32, And now, now God offers to you the true bread from heaven. The true bread from heaven. Verse 33 says, And the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus had made this parallel between the manna that, that God had brought down upon the, the people from heaven for their daily need. And then he talked about himself being the bread of life, the bread of life. Warren Wiersbe said there was no cost to God in sending the manna every day. No cost whatsoever. But he gave his son at a very great cost. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Paul, Paul Harvey. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Okay. All right, some of you not so much. Anyway, but anyway, he was a great storyteller in his day. And uh, he told about a story about a little boy that uh, had been spoiled by his parents because the parents didn't discipline him the way that they should have. And he basically was becoming a little brat. And, uh, and so the boy, the boy had with him one day a sack. And in the sack, there was this, the pitiful sounds were coming from the sack uh, he had captured some tiny birds, 
and the wings of the, bir- of the imprisoned bird slapped helplessly against the walls of the bag. And once in a while, you'd hear a chirp come from there as well. As he was swinging the bag, carelessly going down the street, he ran into this old man. And the old man said to him, what you got in your bag? And he said, oh, I got a sack full of sparrows. He said, what are you going to do with them? He said, well, he said, I'm going to take them out one at a time. And I'm going to tease them. I'm going to pull out a few feathers. And then when I'm done, I'm going to feed them to the cat for supper. And the old man said, how much would you sell the whole sack for? The little guy thought about it. And he wanted to make it high enough, but he didn't want to make it too high that he wouldn't get a chance to to get the money. And so he said, I'd take $2 for the whole sack. Done, said the old man. And he pulled out $2 bills and gave to him. And then he took the sack himself much more carefully The young boy had been swinging it back and forth. And he carefully opened up the neck of the bag. And when he did, the light from the sun came into the bag. And within a matter of just a few moments, the birds had all left. And then Paul Harvey said, So it happened one day that God met Satan with a huge bag. And God said to Satan, What have you got in your bag? And Satan sneered back, people. And God said, what are you going to do with them? And Satan said, I'm going to torment them every day. And when they're worn out here on earth, I'm going to send them to hell. And God said, well, what would you take for the whole sack? And Satan sneered, your only beloved son. And the father said, done. And then he reached down to earth and gave us the gift of his son. Jesus. I want to talk to you for a minute about the meaning of I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In the Old Testament, Moses Moses was in the desert and he saw this bush that was on fire, but yet it wasn't, as he got closer, it wasn't being consumed. He just continued to, 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 to have flames come from it. As he got close enough, God spoke to him out of the bush. And God told him that he wanted He wanted him to free the people from Pharaoh. And at that time, God was known basically as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there wasn't really a name that they knew of for God. And so Moses said, well, who should I tell them has sent me? And he said, I am that I am. He said, tell them that the I am has sent you. And so when we say, I am the bread of life, when Jesus says that, or when he says, I am the living water, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's equating himself to God at that point. 
the I am, whatever it is, he's saying, I, that's who I am. I'm God's son. I'm literally divine myself. Now, if you've not read much about the Bible, about Jesus, uh, spoiler alert, he didn't, he didn't start off as a baby. He didn't. He was in heaven before that. We're told in John 17, 5, when he's praying to his Father in heaven, he says, Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. And then he's talking to his disciples, and he says, For the Father himself loves you dearly, because you love me, and you believe that I came from the Father. In Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, it says that he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bread in Christ's time and today was used to sustain us, to give us nutrients, to give us uh, substance, to help us to live. And, and Jesus wasn't talking about when he said, I'm the bread of life. He wasn't saying, I'm a loaf of bread. He wasn't saying, I'm a piece of bread. That's not what he was saying. But he was saying basically as, as bread gives sustenance to the body, as bread gives you life through eating it, so I am the bread of life that will give you eternal life. I'm the one that's come from the Father. I'm the one that's come down out of heaven, and I've come to give you eternal life. We see in verses 41 through 43 the murmuring of the people. The murmuring of the people. Scripture says, and then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Some of the people said, no, wait a minute. I know you. I know your mom. She's Mary. And I know your dad. It's Joseph. So what do you mean you came down from heaven? Uh, we know your whole family. And they didn't realize what he was saying. They didn't comprehend what he was saying. And I, and I know that, I mean, it is true. Some parents, some parents do believe that their child is, is given to them by God as a one and unique only one. And, and, and some, people, some people look at their child as if probably that child is God's gift to humanity. I, I, it's most days. I mean, there's, you know days you want to return them, but, you know, especially certain years or whatever. But, but most days, most days you feel like that. I understand that. I, I'm a grandparent. I, we have Mateo, and we have a second one on the way. Pretty excited about all that stuff. And we think they're pretty great, you know, right? But that's not what Jesus was talking about here, not in the least. He made it very, very plain, very plain that, indeed, he had come down from heaven. He was God himself, the Son of God, but more than that, God himself. He was divine. So do you ever murmur to God? Do you? Do you ever complain? you ever uh, have big questions for God? Probably not you. You don't look like you probably would. Folks in the 9 o'clock service, they got questions. Let me tell you what. They have questions. They got questions. But, the, but the, the, the bottom line is, I want you to know this morning that God is big enough for the questions you have. He really is. He can handle it. You know, you, you, you read the book of Psalms and you discover very, very quickly that David 
was the psalmist, and he was a man after God's own heart, and he, he cried out to God on various occasions and basically said, where are you? You're not coming to my, to my defense here. What's going on? Why are you being so silent at this time? Yes, it's okay. It's okay for us to bring our questions and our concerns to God. It's okay to do that. This, this last year has been a crazy year. 2020 and 2021 is looking similar to 2020 to some degree, you know. And uh, the, tr- the truth of the matter is it, it has been tough on a lot of people. Uh, a lot of families have lost somebody. Uh, Carla's dad died uh, in January of uh, 2020. And my mom passed away uh, just a month or so ago now. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking, Carla and I were talking about her dad. Her dad had MS and had some struggles physically, and he was, he was uh, falling a little bit and having a lot more doctor appointments, and his body wasn't cooperating as it normally had. And we'd agreed that, you know, this would have been a really, really tough time for Dad if he was still around. Um, handling, you know, getting in and out of the car for all these appointments and can't, you know, can't take anyone else with you to the hospital and, and all that sort of thing. And the masks, too, for him would have, been, would have been really a big deal. So sometimes, you know, sometimes God knows things we don't know and, and sometimes... Sometimes it's not exactly the answer we want at the same time that we want it or whatever, but it's, it's okay. It's okay to take those cares, those concerns, those, those questions to God. It is, it is the time of the Lent season, and it's the time of leading up to Good Friday and, and Easter, our Easter celebration. And many folks think very possibly more about their spiritual condition than they do in any other time of the year. And uh, I think they think more, you know, they see the cross and they see, you know, different things and, and they, they just have questions themselves about this God that loved them that, you know, how does this all work and how, how, do, you, how do you have any kind of a relationship with God, you know, that, that, those kind of questions. And so I have a question for you this morning in closing and that's simply this, are you hungry? I'm not talking about physical hunger. You can take care of that in just a little while. But are you hungry for God? Do you, do you, want, do you want to know the one that can, can help you in all of your life? Do you want to know the peace that only God can bring so that you can be at peace with God and at peace with your fellow man as well? I'm going to have a word of prayer with you in just a moment. And uh, if you would like to, to pray along with me, if you'd like to do that, if you haven't asked Christ to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, I would encourage you to do that today. I would encourage you to do that. So let's just bow our heads together, shall we? Just repeat in your own heart this morning this, this little prayer. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he is God, 
the Son. And I know that I have sinned and I need forgiveness for those sins. And so I ask just now that you'll forgive me of all of the sins I've done. Those sins of commission or omission, whatever they are, I just pray that you would forgive me now. I believe that Jesus is my only hope of heaven. I confess him just now as my Lord and as my Savior. I receive him into my life today. And I want to live my life for you. Help me to do that day by day. With your head still bowed, if you said that prayer with me this morning, would you just lift your hand wherever you are and put it back down? Anyone like that? Yes. 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 And so, Father, we thank you for individuals who have made spiritual steps forward today. To receive Christ is a really, really a big deal. It, it, it solemnifies and, and it, it makes possible for us to know that our sins have been dealt with and that Jesus indeed is our Savior and he's our elder brother and we can know that someday when we die we will go to be with you. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the cross today. Thank you for all that that represents to us as believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that really is an important step. It's a huge step. It's a big step. We, uh, we had somebody that was here three weeks ago. They come almost every Sunday. And at the end of the service, they came to the front and had asked for prayer. And one of our, our uh, leading laymen spoke with them and prayed with them and said, what would you like Jesus to do? He said, I just want to make sure about this whole thing of, of my salvation. I want to make sure that's true. And that's, I'm ready. I just want to make sure that's, that's the case with me. And they prayed together. And uh, his funeral will be this week, by the way. Surprise to the family. But it's just a good thing to know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is our Savior. Amen.